Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen, glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, amen. So, uh, the story so far has been that we put our money where our heart is. Um, and God cares about our hearts a lot more than He cares about our money, but our money really speaks volumes to where our heart is. Um, and that's what we talked about in the first week. The second week, we talked about how we are God's money managers. And God has entrusted you and I with a certain amount of money. And it's, it doesn't belong to us. It wasn't gifted to us. It doesn't, it's not my possession. It is in my holding for me to do with it what God wants me to do with it at this time. Um, and uh, we kind of talked about how um, if you had a money manager and you gave him some money and you asked him, What's, what, what are you doing with the money? And he kind of gave you some, some like vague answers, you'd be pretty upset, right? And we're God's money managers. We need to know where God's money is going. And we talked about having a really honest budget that we kind of um, uh, renew month to month. Um, and we talked a little bit about practical tips about how to do that. And then last week we talked about how if you're God's money manager and you're holding God's money and you're supposed to be doing with money what God wants you to do with it, um, but you have all of these debts and all of these chains tying you, you're not free to do with God's money what you want, He wants you to do with it. You have to, you have to honor the um, obligations that you've already made. So the first thing we need to do is to get out of debt. And we talked a lot about that. And we talked, we gave very, a very specific plan of action about how to get out of debt, especially if that debt is less than half of your gross income. Um, so mortgages and enormous loans, um, we said we would discuss in a couple of weeks, which is next week. Now we're going to take all of that and we're going to go. Um, we're going to go to today. You all remember? Uh, maybe uh, you do. Maybe you don't. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and and Scrooge um, uh, has this this revelation as one of the spirits of past, present, or future takes him to a graveyard and shows him his gravestone. Um, and he realizes that, um, that all of this wealth that he's hoarding is going to eventually um, be left behind. And he vows that he's going to, to do something different and to be a different man and to be a better, um, to be a better man. Now, the biggest problem that parents have and I never understood this till I became a parent, was that you want to give the whole world to your kids. You want to give them everything in the universe, but you don't want to give them stuff that's going to destroy them. So one day, uh, I was uh, rounding with one of the surgeons I used to work with, really nice guy, he was a Christian, uh, but that's sort of besides the point. And he says to me, he says to me, why is it that we can't give our kids everything that we want to give them? And I said, well, because like, they'll get spoiled. Uh, you know, if you give them all this stuff, eventually they'll, they'll, get, they'll be spoiled. And um, he says, yeah, exactly, but why? Why does it have to be that way? Why can't we just give them everything in the world? Like, what would be the appropriate response to, of a child after you give them something so that you could give them more? Like, what would be the response they would have to give you to tell you I'm not be getting spoiled by this? It's okay, you can give me more stuff. Um, and so we got talking about this and, uh, and uh, you know, as we're talking, we realize that gratitude, if your kid thanks you, 
um, then that makes you want to give them more, and it makes you not so worried they're going to get spoiled. But if they have a sense of entitlement, then if they feel that this is, this is uh, mine, Daddy, you have to get me a new bicycle, I deserve it. Right? That kid ain't getting a bicycle from heel to here till they turn 18, right? Because it's not because I don't want to give it to them. It's uh, the other way around. I want to I give my children everything in the whole wide world. I just don't want them to be spoiled. I don't want them to be entitled. Right? And the same, the same is so true in regards to us and the material wealth that is in our lives. This, this week, I referenced it during the Sunday sermon. For those of you who were with us a little earlier, I was reading about King David and how um, King David was, he was anointed king while another king was still alive whom God had rejected, Saul. Anyways, David gets anointed king and uh, th this king Saul is like persecuting him, chasing him all over the place. Finally, David like is running away from him and he goes into a cave. And he, who does he find in the cave? Saul. He finds him sleeping there. So what does he do? He cuts off just like the, the hem of his robe, right? And he walks off and he waits for Saul to wake up. And when Saul wakes up, he comes back with the, the hem of his robe and he says, Look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Right? Because I would not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, he is also anointed of the Lord David. And he has the right to the throne. And he knows that Saul has been rejected by God. Why doesn't he say, man, that's my throne. And he takes it for himself. He says, no. He says, I'm going to wait for God to give it to me. And that sense of entitlement. And I can tell you that sense of entitlement creeps into my life in a million different places, in my time, in my wealth, in my relationships, um, in, in all kinds and all kinds of things. Um, and it's really, it really, I think it robs me of a lot of good stuff that God wants to do in my life. Last week, uh, two weeks ago, we showed these kind of monthly cash flow plans and a way to kind of set up a budget. And we talked really, uh, really long and hard about that. And we didn't really break it down into all its different categories, but you'll notice that the category at the very top left, at the very top, is charity. Tithes, charity, offerings, gifts, whatever you want to call it. And that is what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how to make a new line item on your budget. And probably, arguably, I'm ready to put this out there, the line item that will give you the most joy is going to be the line item that has to do with giving. Jesus tells this story, just a story, about a master, you know, really wealthy guy, got, has a big plantation and lots of wealth, and uh, he has a steward, he has a guy who manages his business, manages his accounts, and the guy was stealing from him. So everybody knew about it, so he couldn't, it's not like he could kind of like, you know, correct him, uh, you know, privately, he had to fire him. So he pulls him into the, you know, the Oval Office and he tells him, look, you're fired. Get all the accounts together. You've got two days. Bring me the books and you're out of here. Right? Here's a cardboard box. And as he's walking out with his banker's box, he says, what am I going to do? I'm ashamed to beg. I don't really know how to do any manual labor. Um, everybody's going to know I got fired from here. Like everybody's going to know why. So uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he says, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to each one of my master's debtors. And I'm going to tell this one and that one, you know, you owe this much, take half off. 
You owe this much? Take 20% off. And I'm going to give everybody a break here and there, and I have the books. And until I surrender those books, nobody knows what's in them, right? And he does that. And he goes, and he changes the books, and he changes the debts, right? And he says this. He says, when I get put out of work, these people will receive me into their homes. Jesus is commenting on this story, and he says to us, this is Jesus' advice to you and me about worldly wealth. This is what Jesus thinks you and I should be doing with our worldly wealth. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed in eternal dwellings. Off the, like, just like, you know, right off the bat, this kind of looks like Jesus is telling us to buy our way into heaven, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that the goods he's given us He's given us for us to do good things to build the kingdom. He's telling us, he's telling us that blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Do good to them, they will intercede for you to enter the kingdom. They will intercede for you to have a place in his kingdom. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is telling us, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and alone and in prison and you visited me. And as much as you did to least of my brethren, you did it to me. Right? Yeah, we've all heard that before. Great. But that stuff costs money. To put on a dinner for 120 to 150 people every Sunday costs us between four to $700, depending on what we're serving. That's money, right? To put on the Saturday lunches, to do this, to do that, to do whatever, right? And this, is not, this talk is not a plea for money for the church at all. This talk is a plea for us to do what God wants us to do with his money. Right? And, and I'm leaving that very much up to you and your prayer life and your time with God and for God to direct your budget. But there's got to be a line item there that says, invest in the kingdom. Some money goes in my RSPs. Some money goes into my RESPs for the education of my children. Some money goes. I'm investing, right? And I'm investing, I'm investing in a place that is worth investing in. And Jesus says, and we talked about this in the second session, I think, or the first one, whoever can, who can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This is the secret. Folks, this isn't... This stuff is not metaphorical or allegorical or some symbolic. This is the real deal. God wants to make you an owner with Him in the kingdom. God wants to give you angels to rule over. God wants to give you a high place, a high place of honor in the kingdom. And He's asking us, to put our heart there. 
And that's finally what Jesus closes with. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is telling us, you can't. You can't. It just can't happen. Right? You can only have one master. You either serve one and hate the other, or serve the other and hate the one. This is the treasure principle. There's a book we gave out at the beginning of the series for anyone who wanted one. We might have one copy left if anybody wants it. We can't take any of the money with us, but we can send it ahead. You can't take it with you. You can't. Right? And we get told lots of stories before Alexander the Great and this and that. We'll tell some more today. Right? But you can send it. You can send it ahead. You can send it to somewhere where it stays forever. Case in point... King Tut. King Tut found in the 1920s, the boy king, buried in a tomb, his casket, pure gold, with chariots of gold, a tomb full of gold, a golden casket surrounded by gold in a golden tomb, literally tons of gold, tons, literally tons of gold, because the, the ancient Egyptians believed that if they, they, whatever you were buried with, you got to take to the next life with you. So they figured, let's give him the best shot he's got, and let's bury him with all this stuff. Well, apparently, he traveled, but the stuff didn't, because we found it, right? <laughs> right? It didn't, it didn't kind of make it through the portal, right? Also in Egypt, uh, the author of The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn, talks about how you can find this obscure tomb of this... 25-year-old missionary who went to go preach to Muslims. He spent about six months in fervent ministry before he was assassinated or killed or whatever you want to call it. Here's his tomb. No gold, nothing. Both are standing in the afterlife now. Who invested? Who invested somewhere that they were going to get a good return on? Right? Who invested? You don't get to take it with you, but you can send it ahead. I've got good news for you. My accountant is pretty good. My friend's accountant is amazing, but I'm not so sure about his morals. That's why I haven't switched. <laughs> but I have another accountant who is absolutely stellar. The most shrewd accountant is in heaven. St. Paul says... He's telling, he's telling the Philippians, prepare your gift so we can come and receive it. And he says, uh, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid uh, to me more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but I desired, but I desi what I desire is more to be credited to your account. St. Paul is telling us God has an account for you. He has a ledger, and it says all that you've been depositing and investing in the kingdom. Don't be fooled. You're going to say, well, but Father John, is it right for us to be motivated by reward? Like, shouldn't we just be doing things out of the goodness of our hearts or the goodness of God's heart or whatever? Like, why, you know, is it, is it, is it okay for me to be hoping for a reward? Absolutely. Jesus promises us multiple times that whatever we give up here on earth for his name's sake, that we will have a hundredfold in the kingdom. He promises us the reward. 
Now, I'm not saying to be obsessed with the reward. I'm not saying to put God out of business and become my own accountant and remind God about how much I've given Him and hold God accountable. I'm not talking about that because if we're going to start talking about debts, on the other side, there's like the blood of Christ that I didn't exactly pay anything for. So, you know what I mean. But, but God is keeping an account for you. To bless you, to reward you and me, to give us, to give us great things in the kingdom. But you want to know where my heart is? Look at where my credit, what my credit card statements are. are. Don't go ask my spiritual father. You can ask him. Don't ask the people in the church who know me well. I've managed to fool them quite well. You want to know where my heart is? Look at, go ask Mr. Visa and Mrs. MasterCard. Go ask CIBC. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. Anthony Canieris, a great author and priest of our age, says, give me four books and I'll tell you where your priorities are. Your prayer book, your Bible, your checkbook, and your agenda, or your schedule book, or your calendar, or whatever. Right? As honestly as a compass follows due, points to due north, as honest as my accounts point to where my heart is. Jesus is telling us, your heart follows your treasure. Wherever your treasure goes, your heart follows after. Wherever your treasure goes, your heart follows after. You want your heart to be in heaven? Put, put your treasures there. And it's true. Honestly, you know, wherever my heart is, wherever my treasure is, there my heart is also. Many people come and tell me, Father John, I wish I longed for heaven more. Like, if I could just, if I just could have a vision of heaven or a dream of heaven or something, it would be so much easier for me to really kind of, to know um, what I'm shooting for. To, to want it more, um, um, more fervently. Or if I want my heart to be there, all I need to do is start putting my treasure there, whatever your treasure is. God is not looking for donors. He's looking for owners. Those of you who know me and my finances well know that I'm a real estate junkie. I love real estate. I love looking at things. I love seeing what's going to be the carrying cost of this and how if we renovate it and if we flip it and how much is it, you know, I love that kind of stuff, right? And I used to do more of it before marriage and none of it now as a priest, of course, right? But, uh, I tell you the truth, God is not looking for donors. He's looking for owners. I discovered doing this series that God is as, at least as much of a real estate junkie as I am. Except God isn't interested in real estate on this, on this little soccer ball called planet Earth. He's interested in real estate in the kingdom. And he's interested in giving that real estate to you and to me. And he's asking us to invest in the kingdom. Be an owner in the kingdom. When you go and you review your budget, it's the beginning of February and we all agreed we're going to make a monthly written budget and we're going to work it out and we're going to make sure it's a net zero budget and we talked talk to all about that on, on the, in the second session, right? Make a new line item and I promise you that is the line item where you put all your gifts, put all the gifts that you're going to give in that line item. You know, so like Make a separate category for Christmas and birthdays and whatever. Sit and think about all the gifts you want to give 
this year, right? And put them in there and then divide it up by however many months you want to divide it up by and make, you know, sort of like a mini savings, you know, um, stash for gifts, including the gifts that you want to give God, that you want to give the poor, and that you want to give others. And honestly, honestly, it is the, the, the happiest, the happiest thing. The bottom line. I was like looking for a picture of the bottom line. I found this picture. I couldn't help, but uh, I couldn't help but put it right. But we have to ask ourselves, right? What is the thing that will affect the bottom line the most? Well, it all depends on which bottom line you're talking about. Are you talking about the bottom line? At the end of this year, how can I finish this year with the most money possible? You're talking about the bottom line at the end of my working career. By 65, what can I do to maximize that bottom line? Are you talking, are you talking about the bottom line of like the end of my days? Like what legacy can I leave for my children, inheritance or whatever? What bottom line are you talking about? Are you talking about the bottom line that never ends? Are you talking about eternity, right? If we look at that bottom line, if we look at the bottom line which counts the most, we find that it's actually the easiest to invest in it. Because there is poverty, and there is suffering, and there is pain everywhere around us. You know, you don't need to Google map, you know, RBC to find the nearest ATM to go deposit some money in your investing account. You just look on any of the streets of Toronto. Just look at any, any charity, any church. Just look... Any, any, anywhere that you can find suffering and you can invest into the bottom line. We're not the first people to do this. There was a young man, 18 years old, walked into church and heard the gospel being read. I heard, heard the gospel about a young rich man asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus and him have a dialogue and Jesus finishes by saying, if you want to be perfect, sell all that you have, come and follow me. So he does it. He sells all that he has, makes sure his sister is well cared for, and he goes off and he becomes the father of monasticism, St. Anthony. I hear these things and I think to myself, it's impossible. I've referenced a couple of my friends before, but I'll mention them again briefly. They read this passage and they thought to themselves, why does everybody think this is impossible? So they walked down around the house with their digital camera and took pictures of everything, put their entire condo and everything in it, including their car, which was not in the condo itself, but outside, on Kijiji, and sold everything they owned in a week. One week. Sorry, one weekend. In one weekend, they sold everything they owned. They would have sold their condo, but their parents stopped them. Um, and they sold that, and they went off and um, did charity work for about 14 months, and came back with completely changed lives. They are some of the most inspiring people I know. This is something that happened in the last seven, eight years. This isn't something, St. Anthony lived, you know, in the fourth century, right? But these people, these people, you know, they're, they're, my, they're my age and a bit younger. They're, any of us can do that if we really want to. St. Paul really loves this example. He references the, the, the Macedonian churches. Um, at, around the time that St. Paul was preaching, a horrible famine had struck. Um, in uh, Palestine and all of that area. Um, and St. Paul was going around collecting um, money to send there so that, so for, for famine relief. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, St. Paul says, He 
St. Paul says, in the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Look at this sentence for a second. It reads very nicely, but it's full of paradoxes, right? In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy. How do they have overflowing joy in severe trial? And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I'll tell you a secret. I'll tell you a secret that Jesus pointed out. Oftentimes, the most generous people are the people who have the least. I tell you, I visit, uh, there's a, a few refugee families we care for, and there's a few other people who are, um, you know, really have, like, very little. And it, it's a real struggle for them to make it to the end of the month. And they really count every penny. And they never, ever let me walk out of their homes without something. And they say, this is for the church. This is for somebody in need. I'm sure there are people, I'm sure you care for people who are more in need than me. They recognize that they're not exactly at the top of the financial ladder, but they know that there are people that are lower down. They say, please, please, Father John, give this to, give this to someone who needs it more than me. Honestly, every time that happens, my eyes well up with tears. And I think to myself, what am I doing? What am I doing? It's no wonder that Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, indeed. Blessed is the widow of two mites, indeed, for hers indeed is the kingdom of heaven. I tell these people, you know what I tell these people often? I tell them, the day will come where I will be standing at the throne of God, begging for your intercessions that I might have a place in the kingdom next to you. Then they cry too, and everything's good. St. <laughs> Paul continues on, he says, you want to know about the grace of God that has given, I, I, want, I want you to know about the grace of God that he has given to these Macedonian churches. I want you to know, why is it that these Macedonian churches are dirt poor, and they're falling apart, and they're being persecuted on every side, and yet they still find all this money that they collect and they give to us. The same thing happens to us when we go to serve in Africa. It's, 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 honestly, it's humiliating. We go to like a, a town or something, and they give you a goat, or they give you uh, chickens, or they give you... And, and this for sharing the word of God with them, and spending time with them, and all of this... To, to, to honor you and to honor God. The generosity that God gives to those in need. And he can give the same to us. Right? And St. Paul continues, They gave as much as they were able beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. May God give you and give me the same spirit in, this, in these people. To earnestly pray and beg God to give me the privilege of sharing. Why? Why? Why do you think that is? Because it gives us joy to give. It gives us joy to give. Give and you get joy in return. Almost always. It's like inseparable. That's why, that's why the poor love to give to those who are even poorer than themselves. They gave themselves first of all, and then by the will of God also. And he continues on in the next chapter. 
and he talks about how God loves a cheerful giver. And I promise you, the joy follows the giving. Like you may not feel so entirely joyful and you'll be like, well, when I feel joyful, I'll give. That's never going to happen. Because it'll, all be, it'll always be little things stealing away my joy. But if I give, the joy follows. If I give earnestly, with, from, with earnest desire, from all my heart, because I want to, the joy follows. But why don't we give? So there was a PBS show several years back called Affluenza, the possession, the possession of obsession, or the obsession of possession. It works both ways, right? And affluenza is our, is, is, is our you know, infection in this world, which can otherwise, otherwise be called as materialism, right? It's the, it's the like rampant um, disease affecting the affluent, right? And the issue with materialism is that the more we have, the more we want. And then we have so much that we don't know where to put it anymore. And then now we have storage issues, right? And all of this stuff. But the reality is, is that none of this stuff makes us happy. And the cure, the cure is very simple. Many, many wise people have said wise things about traveling light. And Jesus is telling you and he's telling me the same. Travel light. Travel light through this life. Don't carry too much. The more you carry, the more it tires you. The more it takes away from the experience. The more, the more you have, the less it's possible, the less you enjoy. The cure is very simple. St. Paul is telling this to St. Timothy to tell to the rich. He says, tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and trust should be in the living God, who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. Who would have thought? Who'd have thought that, that scripture has all this advice about what we should do with our wealth, about where to invest, and all this? Jesus is telling you and he's telling me, look at your investing. Look at where you're putting, look at where you're putting your money, right? And make sure you're investing in eternity. At the end of all of this, I was sat reflecting to myself and I thought to myself, I should be careful what I buy, but I don't need to think twice before I sell. I remember the last time I bought a cell phone, like my current cell phone, I was walking out of the store and a little voice in my head was saying, now Jesus says, sell all that you have about six or seven times. Never once does Jesus say the word buy. How did I translate sell into buy? Like, how did, I, how did I convert that? How did I make sell into buy? I don't know, right? Honestly, honestly, I, I should think twice before I buy. But sell it all. Sell it all for the kingdom. Money isn't evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. But money itself is not evil. Money has been given to you and to me to do the will of God. Money just makes you more of what you already are. So if I'm greedy, money will make me more greedy. If I'm generous, money will make me more generous. If I'm careless, more money will make me more careless. If I'm careful, how careful I am will become all the more apparent. So, so long King Tut. I'm investing in heaven. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.